Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kiley. This is Before the Box Score, your post-game South Carolina victory edition. That's right. Pull out your pagers, put on some Jankos, listen to Sugar Ray, because Missouri just won with a 1990s playbook. Going full defense, full running back, and a wonky-ass 31-28. Weirdest game of the year, uh, possibly, box score, but uh, Missouri still won it. In the end, and that's the most important part. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. That was a lot of fun to watch. Um, wasn't perfect. Didn't need to be perfect. Knew that it didn't need to be going in because South Carolina is as flawed of a team as you are. Uh, mm-hmm. But they did enough to find a way to get it done. And man, that's the kind of win that can make you feel a heck of a lot better as a Missouri fan. There was plenty in there to get you excited about the uh, immediate future. There was plenty in there to get you excited about the long-term future and there was enough to be able to cause controversy as well so it it had a little bit of everything bottled up to into a win at home uh and now there's legitimate optimism about potentially going to a bowl game so uh lots to be excited about as a missouri fan today i mean this this missouri football season was dead in the water four weeks ago and Mm -hmm. and here we are yeah talking about a bowl game so Let's let's not dance around it. I mean, the big takeaway of the game was the defense, flat out. Um, I don't know who those guys were, but that was a defensive line that just swarmed the South Carolina running, rushing attack. Uh, pressured Jason Brown all day, forced him to do the thing that he was not good at doing, which is running right and or running left and throwing right. Um, and, and South Carolina could not find a way to stop. Missouri from doing that. Darius Robinson was in the backfield every play that he was out there. Isaiah McGuire turned into Justin Smith and mm-hmm. Trajan Jeffcoat was vintage 2020 Trajan Jeffcoat for most of the game. Linebackers whiffed only on a few tackles and the secondary did get picked on, but ref <laughs> ref show aside had three interceptions. Uh, they, it was just, it was a dominating defensive performance. And I think the entire game you saw it on, on Twitter and, and we were talking about it too. Where was this all season? <laughs> and just imagine what what this team could be if we had that defense at the beginning of the year. It's crazy. Like they they probably win two other games. I think they probably beat both Kentucky and Boston College if you have that defensive performance all season long. Um, and you make it look way less interesting against Vanderbilt if you had that defensive performance against Vandy as well. I don't know what changed. I really don't. I think a big part of this is Chad Bailey getting into the game now. 
he's just a difference maker, man. He is not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination, but he's super aggressive. He's going to fill his lane and he's a guy that just allows them to play the front four the way they need to. He can blitz a little bit and he helps against the run. That's enough. (laughs) He's just a competent college football linebacker. And for the first, what, six, seven weeks of the season, they didn't really have that next to Blaze Aldridge. And so now you have a guy in Blaze Aldridge who is limited athletically, but he's going to put his nose up in there and he's a pretty darn good blitzer as well. And when you have those two guys inside and you have defensive ends that are able to get pressure on the quarterback, I'll be damned. Suddenly, this looks like a competent defense again. So that's really what changed. There wasn't a whole lot schematically that I noticed in this game. Nate, you can tell me if you saw anything that you saw, but it just looked like a defense that really played well. It No, it did. It did. I, I will openly say, and, and, you know, maybe kind of piss on the parade here. South Carolina's offensive line sucks real bad, especially Fair. their tackles. And the only thing they could do against Missouri was hold. And for whatever reason, they got away with a good chunk of those holds. <clears throat> so that is one aspect of it. Then again, Missouri did play Vanderbilt. I was about to say the reason why that doesn't really hold a lot of water to me is because we've watched this Missouri defense against Vandy in North Texas and the late in the game against SEMO and a whole game against Central Michigan. And it didn't matter what the quality of the opposition was. They were going to run it down your throat from start to finish. Yeah. South Carolina just couldn't. They were incapable of running it down your throat for the vast majority of this game. If you include sacks, they finished with 35 carries for 57 yards Insane. against Missouri's defense. Yeah. I, I mean, even if you take that out, take away the negative 50 yards from Brown, you're still looking at 31 carries for 107 yards. And that is a vast improvement compared to what we have seen all year long. And you're right. Their offensive line is no good. It hasn't mattered for most of the season. Missouri's just been getting blown off of the ball by everybody, regardless mm-hmm. of the quality of the opponent. So to see them actually put together for a full 60 minutes, a strong defensive performance against the run. And now it's becoming a little bit of a trend because they did so against Georgia as well. That's what gives me hope going into Florida and Arkansas. Yeah. Vandy uh, is the best comparison as far as rushing attack goes. Coming into this game, South Carolina's rushing attack was 117th. Vanderbilt's was 115th. And offensive line struggled in similar ways. Commodores are a little bit better at picking up blitzes. But other than that, it's basically the same. And Vanderbilt did run all over Missouri. So Mm -hmm. there's your comparison. North Texas was a very good rushing team because that's all they can do. But, like, again, this this was a peer program in your division. Basically the same team. We talked about it on Wednesday. Warts and all, both sides had very obvious weaknesses. Uh, both sides were rebuilding with new coaches like this. This was this was the man in the mirror match. This is the one where it's like, yeah, you are playing yourself. And truthfully, Missouri probably should have won by 14, 17, 21. You know, name your multi-score gap here. Uh, it was kept in check because of some interesting officiating calls and some even more interesting quarterback decisions. But we'll get to that in a second. But really, this defense played in a manner that should have won this game handily, and I, I, I just, I, it blew me away. I, I had no idea that this, that this 2021 Missouri team had that kind of performance in it. And like you said, now we're in a trend. We're in trend territory here. Now you got Florida. 
here's your heat check. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a, it was a way more talented team, but possibly way more checked out than you are. So we'll see how it goes from there. But man, we've got we've got the proof of concept. They limited Georgia's rushing attack. They completely shut out South Carolina's. Here's Florida. So I, I, and and keep in mind they did this without Mikai Wingo, their best defensive lineman, at least from 2021. So. Uh, the scheme is there. the The players are getting it. They're flying all over the field. They're picking off balls. They're 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 sh- shutting down the run. And you know you don't have this. This was always a rebuilding year. People were you know we, you even said it like Kentucky flips, maybe Boston College flips. Okay, <clears throat> we still weren't going to be playing for the East or doing really anything other than going for a bowl game. It's all visuals and making the fan base feel good. But in the end. However you get seven wins, however you get to the bowl game, doesn't really matter. It's that you do, and that you have something to pitch to recruits, to the fan base, season ticket holders, to buy in and say, hey, yeah, we're going in the right direction. And if this defense can keep this up, that is a hell of a message to pitch for the next seven months, and it's going to be excellent. Yeah, it's about finding something that you can cling on to that is tangible, not just hope, right? Because hope is an intangible thing that you can look at and be like, it, it always exists. Every club, once you get to spring ball, you haven't seen that version of your favorite team fail yet. So optimism is abound. There's real reasons for optimism right now. Like we, we mm-hmm. say South Carolina's rushing attack is terrible and it's true. But last week against Florida, and we'll get to this later on <laughs> this week, but Against Florida, they ran the ball 42 times for 285 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Against Missouri, they ran the ball 35 times for 57 yards and two touchdowns. So they averaged seven yards per carry last week and two yards per carry this week. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know how else to say it other than that the team that you're playing next week got ran all over by the team you just shut down on the ground. I know Florida's checked out. But that, to me, shows real signs of progress because the quarterback that they had out there against Missouri, his only real other experience was last week against Florida. Mm-hmm. So um, it, that's the reason for me why I take this. And and I am going to like actually make note of it. I, I think it is worthy of being considered a, a really impressive performance in my mind. Um, and, and I hope that they're able to carry this over, because if they can, I think long term. Now we're starting to look at, you know, the the list of really good defensive coordinators that you made for no good reason. Yep. I don't know that we're going to need it. Same. I I know that's a weird thing to say because six weeks ago we were all ready to look at that list and break it down. And that was going to be the most interesting thing to look at the rest of the season. Don't look now, but I think Steve Wilkes Mm -hmm. might be saving his job with his performance in the month of November. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned it on the Wednesday show. I was like, I'm not, I'm not super sure that he gets fired at the end of the season. And you give me one more game like that. And I'll tell yeah, I, I don't think he will, regardless of what happens to Arkansas. If he repeats this against Florida, then no, I think he will have saved his job, which is insanity. But again, the players said it themselves. We're understanding the scheme. We have a better mm-hmm. idea of how this thing's supposed to work. We know where we're supposed to play. Like sometimes it's as simple as that. Just needing enough reps to make it count. And, and that's where we're at. So if we have this, this defensive line that can shut down running games like that, like <laughs> plus you have the corners that we have who incredibly dangerous. Chris Abrams drain is having a great season. Caleb Evans, when he's not holding and getting called for phantom holds, <laughs> like is having a great season. 
Like this secondary is great. Martez Manuel might have been the best defensive player on the field. <laughs> and like he just yeah. directing traffic and, and just destroying fools left and right. Like Jalen Carlisle coming up with big plays left and right now. Like it's it's really impressive to watch. It really is. It and is. the the thing to me, and this is all I needed them to be coming into the season. The run defense has been sound the last two weeks in the past. Defense has been pretty opportunistic when they're not playing Georgia. Like that is what you wanted to see. Just Mm -hmm. create some havoc, create big plays, tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions, fumbles. Like that's, that's how this defense wins because they're not going to consistently get stops. It's just not the way they're constructed right now with the talent that's on that side of the ball. It's not going to be where, you allow six plays for 30 yards and then you force a punt every single time that you're on the field. Yeah. You're going to have to force some big time plays where you put the opposing team behind the sticks or you take the ball away and give it back to your offense. And that's, that's what they did against South Carolina. They gave the ball back to the offense. So credit to them, huge, huge performance by them. They needed every last bit of it because outside of Tyler Beatty and a couple of big plays from the offense, a uh, weird day from the offense side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, and again, you know, Tyler Tyler Beatty is 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 this offense mm-hmm. full stop. Superman wears Tyler Beatty pajamas to sleep, and Tyler Beatty goes out and delivers everything that this offense needs because it it is one guy. Um, I was running the the Twitter yesterday during the game, and I was keeping track. I th- I think Tyler Beatty was literally the focus of the first nine offensive plays. No one else was getting a look and that's including rushes and passes. And yeah, he is your best player. I get that. Uh, He can't be the only guy that you look at. And I feel like that's a trap that both Eli Drinkwitz and Connor Baselight kind of can fall into when you look at this receiving core, who is either a not that great or B super young. And you go, well, why not give it to the best guy on the team? And I, I, so I certainly understand that. Um, but when the entire defense is schemed around stopping one guy and your entire offense is schemed around getting it to that one guy, you can fall into funks. And we saw that in the middle portions of this game at the same time, Tyler Beatty finishes the game, 34 carries, 209 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And then he decided to add in five receptions and 22 yards through the air. And I was about to say, I actually somewhat disagree with you on this. I I think it was the right game plan. I mean, I think your best way to beat South Carolina on Saturday was by giving Tyler Beatty the ball that as many times as he possibly could take it without getting hurt. And then sprinkle in a few jet sweeps to Mookie or Michael <laughs> yeah. Wilson or Dom or Deontay Smith, you know, chuck it deep to Boo Smith once, like just sprinkle in some variety. But yeah, I mean, this it's this offense is is limited. And it's going to be limited for the rest of the year. And Tyler Beatty is good enough to overcome those limitations, but there are teams out there that can stop them. And, and so that's, that's where the frustration comes in. Cause it's not going to work drive to drive to drive, mm-hmm. but baby, when it works, it, it freaking works. And Tyler Beatty did enough of it yesterday to make it count. Tyler Beatty's unbelievable, dude. He is just unbelievable. Uh, he now has at least four or he has four games this year with 200 or more rushing yards. The other SEC running backs in the last two decades to do that at least four times. Leonard Fournette, Travion Williams, Derrick Henry. End of list. <laughs> God. I mean, he is up there right now production-wise with the best running backs that we have seen in this conference, which produces the best running backs in the country 
in two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, he had 39 touches on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It was the second game this season that he's had at least 30 carries and five receptions. He is the first SEC running back to do so in multiple games in 20 years. Um, <laughs> he's putting together some wild game logs right now. He's not going to end up getting any love for the Heisman. That's just not going to be a thing that happens because of the team in which he plays on. Mm-hmm. He's been one of the best players in the country this year. He just has been. He's on. He's unbelievable, man. What's crazy. The craziest thought to me, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in some, you know, jinx or anything like that. Cause again, my words don't have any power. Otherwise a lot of things would be different in this world. But from for 20 years, from 2000 to 2020, two Missouri Tiger running backs have been drafted. Damian Nash in 2005 in the fifth round and Marcus Murphy in 2015 in the seventh round. Missouri is going to have two running backs drafted in two consecutive drafts. I'm going to mm-hmm. double that from 20 years. You're going to match that in two. Larry Roundtree last year in the sixth round. And Tyler Beatty is going to get drafted. I feel pretty confident. He's going to get drafted higher than any of those guys you just mentioned. He's going to be a second or third round pick. No matter what happens these next two or three games, he is going to get drafted. And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be higher than sixth round. I can tell you that fifth or sixth round. So he is, he is unbelievable. And you're looking at, you go back and you look at individual rushing seasons or you look at career rushing yards, or you look at just kind of all purpose yardage. And he's ranking up there. And, and we, we knew he was going to be good. We all question his durability, which <laughs> silly us uh, looking back. But this is this is one of the more incredible seasons we've seen from an individual, let alone a running back. Uh, and it, it's it stinks that he has to do it on such a, a one dimensional, unproven offense. But sometimes that's the scenario you need to be in to have superhuman seasons. And and, you know, for whatever this season is going to be for the team. I hope we all step back and appreciate what Tyler Beatty is doing here. Cause whether by design, by scheme or just by talent, I'm not sure we're ever going to see a season like this ever again. He's averaging 157 yards from scrimmage per game. Yeah. That's, that's absurd. He's second in the country right now behind a gentleman by the name of Sean Tucker from Syracuse. He's a freshman running back. I gotta be honest. I know nothing about the gentleman, but it sounds like he's putting together one hell of a year. Um, but Tyler Beatty second in the country in ahead right now of Kenneth Walker, the third from Michigan state, who's no probably going to get some Heisman wow. love. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absurd. Um, he's ahead of Bijan Robinson, Brees Hall, mm-hmm. Deuce Vaughn. I mean, the guys that came into the year at running back that were, whether getting Heisman love or just on the watch lists for a lot of different awards, Beatty's been more productive than all of them. Like you can send me whoever you want to. That is a running back. Beatty's been more productive than any of them. Mm -hmm. So whatever awards you want to put him in consideration for. Yeah. He's up there right (laughs) now. He's deserving. Here's a quick question for you while we're on the Beatty conversation. Sure. Where's he rank among the best running backs for Mizzou that you've seen over the last 20 years? Like, set aside all the numbers, just you watch them play. Mm-hmm. Best running backs that you've seen at Missouri over the last 20 years. Because I have him second for me. I mean, we we probably have the same answer. I still think he's second to Henry Josie. That's the same one for me. And I wonder how much of it is Josie's tied to that 2013. 
13 team. But at the same time, in 2011, I was like, Henry Josie's the freaking man. And that <laughs> yeah. 2011 team was like up and down and up and down and up and down. And and he was just such an awesome player back then. And that's why it hurts so much for him to have such a catastrophic injury. Um, and again, maybe that plays a part of it too. But it just I still think Henry Josie's the best individual running back I've ever seen. And I have seen, you know, I've seen Brock Olivo. I've seen Zach Abron. I've seen some of the best that come through. Uh, Marcus Murphy, obviously, you know, Damian Nash, uh, Tony Temple, Derek Washington. I've seen these guys in person, but none of them have affected the game like Henry and, and Tyler have. And I think it's going to come down to stats probably at some point because hardware is not going to be a part of the question or shouldn't be, mm-hmm. at least for running backs. So I still have Henry number one, Tyler two, but man, it is, it's getting close. Are you kind of in the same boat there? I'm totally with you. Henry Josie back in 2013 finished with 174 carries for 1150 yards and 16 touchdowns. So he was at Mm -hmm. 83 yards per game on the ground. So far this year through, what is it? 10 games. Mm-hmm. Beatty has 200 carries for 1,240 yards, 12 touchdowns. He's at 123 yards per game on the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, as of now, very much in the direction of Beatty, if you're just looking statistically. But Josie was at 6.7 yards per carry. Beatty's at 6.2. So he was yeah. slightly more efficient. Um, he also ended up with 16 touchdowns that year on the ground. Uh, Beatty right now is at 12. So he needs a little bit more from that side of things to be able to catch up with him. But yeah, I mean, if you have Beatty number one, it's a fair argument. I could listen Mm -hmm. to it right now. I Mm -hmm. I would have Josie still number one for me, but any argument that you make in favor of Tyler Beatty right now is totally just. Yeah. And I, I, again, like you said, I don't know what kind of accolades he's going to get. I really don't. But he should be fewer in the than he deserves is the answer. <laughs> well, you're right. But even think back to like, you know, I think it was I think it's Devin West who has the most yardage, which is 1,578 yards in a given season. That was 1998 from Moberly, by the way. People forget that Devin West <laughs> was awesome. Um, Brad Smith ranks pretty high. Well, he's number one in career rushing yards, but he's a quarterback. Uh, Tyler Beatty's not going to be threatening career rushing yards. We're all looking at single season here. So Devin West is over 1,500. Brad Smith, 1,406. Joe Moore, 1969, 1,312 yards, also a St. Louis kid. Um, And then Brad Smith again in 2005 had 1,301 yards. So Larry Roundtree's 1,216. Got it. Brad Smith, 1,301 yards. Probably going to get it. Um, mm-hmm. You can you can be really, really high up here with just another 200-yard game. Would probably put you second. And He's arguably, at 1240 right now. Yeah, so it would definitely put you at second. And then you just needed one more game, and you surpassed Devin West. So that's that's crazy rarefied air that he is currently in. And again... No one saw this coming uh, going into the season, but we also didn't know, A, that Tyler Beatty was just superhuman, and B, this offense was going to be super limited. Um, so credit to him for making taking advantage of the situation that he's got. Again, you don't really want to see this because of the situation, but uh, give him all the awards. 
I'm, I'm okay with that. And, and, and he's clearly going to make, he's clearly made his mark at Mizzou uh, and he should be able to get a chance in the NFL, which is just awesome. Yeah. I'll be interested to see like the, the postseason teams, which one he lands <clears throat> on like all SEC, oh, yeah. all American, Houston, all yeah. of those. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see where he lands on some of those because he's like all SEC, for example, he's deserving of being on first team, all SEC easily. Don't know that he'll get it because of the team in which he plays on, which is disappointing. But um, unfortunately, well, that's where we are. I, I, that's that's a logical thought. At the same time, South Carolina was trash last year, and Kevin Harris was first team All SEC. So something to think about. Do you think? I, like here, here's the question: Do mm-hmm. they give it to Brian Robinson Jr., who is the running back at Alabama? He's posted. 850 yards this year on the ground, but he has 14 touchdowns. So he's been, he's been really good. Sure. Um, he's played one fewer game and he's at about 91 yards per game on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Rodriguez jr. Who plays for a very good Kentucky team. He's averaging six yards per carry. He's averaging right around hundred yards per game. Isaiah Spiller has been really good this year for Texas A&M. Those are probably your candidates, not named Tyler Beatty. I just wonder when you go, when you get into the voting, in this conference, are they going to favor those three guys or a combination of one or two of them over Beatty? I don't know. I hope not. I, mean, I think they. I think they might be able to get this right, but I feel like they should. I know brand loyalty goes a long way. I understand that, but Isaiah Spiller's got five touchdowns. You know, yep. Chris Rodriguez six less than six yards per or I guess right at six. We can we can, you can poke holes at every in any kind of comparison all you want. It's really just you know who do you think is the best, uh, and can everyone can make an argument about their choice. That's fine. Of course, we all know the answer is uh, Tyler Beatty. I mean, you're you're asking the wrong people if you're looking for an Isaiah Spiller vote here. I mean, come on, man. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. I also know that the SEC. Uh, teams don't like to stack it with one team, you know, like just over and over and over again. That's why Alabama doesn't take home 22 all Americans every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is some variation and a little bit of politics to it. I don't know how much, maybe they throw us a bone or whatever. Cause Tyler's awesome. And the team sucks, but um, I, I don't know. I, it'd be very curious to see. And uh, you know, whatever he gets, he, he has certainly earned, but he, he is the ying of this Missouri offense and the Yang is the quarterback and we're going to end on a bummer note here, but like Connor Bazelak is not the answer and that's not breaking news, but my God, what an awful game. What an awful game he had yesterday. I know he had the deep ball connection to Mookie Cooper. That was cool. He is so bad. I am questioning his loyalty to this team. He is so oh, bad. <laughs> it looks like the controller unplugged when you're playing Madden. He is so bad and so limited. He is, he is an albatross on the development of this team. And I, I'm sure he's a great guy. Clearly the team loves him. They voted him as a captain. That's not by accident. He knows the playbook probably better than anybody else. He is the most seasoned quarterback in the room. The dude will not run. He cannot run. And he has two to three absolutely boneheaded decisions in him every single game. Every single game. And if you're not going to do anything to fix that, if you're going to continue to just 
make a dumb decision and you're going to continue to not trust yourself to run, then you are limiting what this offense can do. And you should not be the starting quarterback. And that, that is where I currently stand. I don't know what you're thinking. Talk me off the ledge, convince me otherwise, but I just, Bazelak's not the answer and it needs to change right now. And it kind of, I'm getting the feeling that Drinkwitz is finally seeing the light. Oh, you don't have to, you're not going to be arguing with me on this, man. <laughs> We're on the same page here. He's clearly not the answer and it's time to make the switch. Um, and I, I am so far off of the, he's not the answer uh, department that you can go to Brady Cook. Like, I'm good with it. That's fine. I, I, I've fought my fight for uh, Tyler Macon. I'm done. It's fine. Like, I, I get it. You're not going to go that route. That's fine. We disagree on it, but it's okay. Brady Cook came in and on an RPO, he actually held, he kept the ball. It, it was his own read. Beautiful. And he kept the ball. And it was one of the biggest plays of the game and they needed mm-hmm. it in that moment. That's what you're missing with Connor Bazelek in the game. I mean, you're missing a lot of things, but that is one of the easiest things to be able to have with another just capable and confident runner out there. So if you're able to get that out of Brady Cook, and it seems like you you are, start him next week. He should be your starting quarterback moving forward. Because mm-hmm. Connor Bazelak had one throw where it went for 60 yards, and it was a magical play. And I'm so happy for Mookie Cooper to finally be able to get that monkey off of his back. It was Cheers. just, it was great. And by mm-hmm. the way, it was underthrown. Uh, should have been thrown further, but <laughs> whatever. Yes. I'm not going to complain about what yes. ended up being a 60 yard touchdown. And one of the more exciting players for a guy that's earned it. Mookie Cooper this season. Outside of that play, Connor Bazelak was 14 for 22 for 120 yards on the day. My God, that's terrible, man. And of his 15 completions on the day, five of them went to Tyler Beatty. He's just not able to stretch the field. And some of this is Eli Drinkwitz's offense. I understand that completely. A lot of it, though, is Connor Bazelek. And he's also compounding all of those issues that we just discussed with the fact that He's making these boneheaded plays where I don't know what he's throwing to. I don't know what he's seeing. He sees pressure and then he just freaks out and it's as if he's never seen pressure before. And I just don't get it, man. So it's time. It's past time. Frankly, I didn't think you should have started this game. And I think you saw everything you needed to to be able to make that decision coming out of this one that he can't start the next one. When you put in your backup quarterback for the final four minutes of a must-win game when you need your quarterback to make the right plays because you trust the redshirt freshman more than you do the guy that was voted team captain, I think that says everything you need to know about where this is headed. I mean, just because you just because you go to the backup doesn't mean you can't go back to the incumbent. It should. At the same time, in this situation, it should be that. I mean, that, that first interception that he threw, he lofted it to the sideline. Like I, I even put it out there on Twitter. It, it was like when you're playing Madden or you're playing NCAA 14 and you want to smash the Y button and you accidentally tap the X and you just pop it up in the air for no reason. And the, the computer intercepts it and returns it for a touchdown. And you're like, what did I do to my controller? That's what it looked like. And that was basically the same result. The fact that they tackled him before he could run all the way to the end zone was a minor miracle. That was the dumbest throw I've ever seen. 
the dumbest throw I've ever seen. And then at the, towards the end of the game, he did it again. He did it again. Just pop the ball up into the air to, you know, a quick seven yard throw, but nope, that's not what happened. And I know there's people saying, well, it was tipped or maybe, well, it slipped out of his hand. It's like, I'm just think, thinking here, like, isn't it convenient that we can explain away every dumb decision that he does and how he just keeps happening? How, this snake bitten quarterback. Maybe we should just get, get him off the field because he's snake bitten. I, I, I don't know what the issue is. Injury certainly has something to do with it. The, his, whatever offensive system he grew up in, whatever he's learned to do, however he's coached to play, all these things play into that. Yes, scheme, whatever. At the same time, all you got to do is just keep it on the zone reads once or twice per game. They were on, they were on the three yard line, and if he had kept it, it would have been the easiest six points of his career. But at the same time, I understand the defense doesn't respect his ability to run, so they're never going to look at. You know, okay, we don't have to play him. So it's it's just it's a limiting factor to this offense. It's flat out. And the fact that Drinkwitz is going to go to Macon or go to Cook for any running situation, and either one of them is good for him, tells you enough about what he thinks about Basilak. Um, I think the most damning thing, and this comes from our, our postgame write-up from yesterday, is when they were talking to Eli Drinkwitz about the switch about moving from Basilac to Cook. Drinkwitz started with that last pick and then stopped and then redirected and said, we needed somebody who could be able to be a threat with his legs. Like he started with, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of everybody on this team, like, you know, again, everybody in the Mizzou atmosphere, it feels like Drinkwitz is the one guy who's got Basilac's back more than anybody else. And then he was the one that was so frustrated he went to cook. So I'm not saying this is a transfer portal type move where it's like, well, sealed it. He's gone. But it seems pretty clear that Eli Drinkwitz understands right now that Bazelak is good for dumb decisions and not running. And the other quarterbacks are good for at least being able to run or manage those dumb decisions. And to me, that's enough to move on. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, you might have more upside there with cook. And that's that's the thing that's difficult at this point to get past with Connor Basilek. I called him a couple of weeks ago a high risk, low reward, low reward, easy for you to say, mm-hmm. uh, quarterback. And that's what he's become. There's a whole lot of variance with his play in terms of the interceptions, the fumbles, all of that. And there's not a whole lot of upside that comes with it. He has 15 touchdowns now on the season. And if you look specifically at what he's done against conference opponents, it's just not there. Like the production just doesn't match some of the variants that we're seeing within his game. I just don't know how you are able to, at this point, look at what he's done and say to yourself, this guy gives us the best chance to win. He doesn't. He doesn't give them the best chance to win anymore. And there there's a an alternate universe in which that just doesn't matter in the next two games because Arkansas is pretty good and Florida was supposed to be dominant. That world ain't this one. This world has Missouri technically as a 10 point underdog against Florida next weekend, which I don't understand. Seven and a half now. Yeah. Oh, it's been bet down already. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in, in this world, Missouri has every opportunity to win that game next Saturday. In fact, I, I think they, Maybe in Vegas they shouldn't be favored, but 
they're going to have a real chance to be able to win that one. Not because Florida's an untalented opponent, but because Florida gave up 52 last week to Samford. Mm-hmm. And they have seemingly given up on the season. You've got to put your best team out there yep. against this squad in this situation. You just have to do it. Yep. And that includes Tyler Beatty. And that includes Brady Cook. Yep. Maybe Tyler Macon situationally or start him. I don't care, but it can't be Connor Bazelak. And I think Bazelak should be your third quarterback next week. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I don't think he should be looked to to, to pack anybody up. And Drinkwood said, hey, I, I can't prepare three quarterbacks in a week. I can only prepare two. Well, then prepare Brady and Tyler. In a story. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I feel bad for Connor Bazelak. Obviously, he did well last year in a tough spot and it was enough to, uh, to get Missouri to five and five. He's just not, he's not the same player. Just flat out. He's not the same player. I, can I be honest? Please. I, I actually always ask he, you to be honest. I actually think he is the same player and that's, what's frustrating. I think a lot of what we're seeing this year is similar issues to what we saw a year ago. I just don't think he's progressed at all. I think he's regressed when it comes to his running. And I don't think his passing game has improved in any way, shape or form. And in some ways, I think what's happened is teams saw who he was as a passer a year ago, and now they're better able to exploit it. So last year, they just had basically no film on him coming into the season. And it was just a weird year for a million different reasons. But he made some of the same mistakes a year ago as he's making this year. And if you look at the touchdown interception numbers, it's pretty close to being one for one last year. And that's kind of where it is this year again. I think he's kind of the same guy. And I think that's what's maybe most frustrating about it is that he just hasn't really taken that step forward that any of us hoped that he would. I mean, I know last year we explained away the the touchdowns, right? Hey, you had Larry Roundtree. Mm-hmm. Hey, you didn't have an established receiving core. Hey, it was a weird year. Yeah, now it's just he doesn't throw touchdown passes. That's not what he does. Um, he'll 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 pass you down the field and then you know knock it in on the one yard line with with Tyler Beatty. So uh, that that's where he is, and that's not going to be good enough for the SEC. You know that that could be good good enough for the MAC, for Conference USA, for the Sun Belt. You know Taylor Powell's tearing it up at Arkansas State. You know you <laughs> could. I'm serious. Like Connor could be a great G5 quarterback or. Just, just not, not at the SEC, not here. So yeah. last year he had um, against conference opponents, which was every game, seven touchdowns, six, six interceptions. Mm-hmm. This year against conference opponents, he has seven touchdowns and eight interceptions. My so, God, it's just it's the same guy, same guy. Well, Missouri won yesterday, regardless, which is the most important part. Um, you'd like to see a complete game at some point this season. You haven't really seen it because, you know, first eight games of defense was bad. And now we're kind of looking for a new quarterback. But um, Florida's coming to town. And this is this is going to be an interesting divergence of paths. Is this the game where Florida gets right? Or is this the game where Missouri gets the bowl game, exerts its dominance over a checked out team and, you know, sets itself up for long term success, gets to the postseason? It continues the recruiting pitches like this. This is a big one. And, you know, coming into the season, I think I said A&M was the most likely win of those blue blood recruiters. Ah, 
that was wrong. Um, but Florida was either, I'm pretty sure Florida was my number two. There's, there's no chance in hell that any Missouri team would beat this Georgia team. So here we are. This is our next crack at a, kind of an elite program. That's, that's a scuffling in the mud here. And, um, 10, seven and a half, whatever you get it at. Uh, I feel, I, I feel like, um, this Missouri team, if it brings its game that it's brought the past two weeks can absolutely give Florida a game and it's at home and it's going to be cold. And I'm, uh, I, I'm interested to see this game play out. I have a lot of, a lot of, uh, anticipation for this one, BK. Yeah. I can't wait to talk this one over with you on, uh, on our Wednesday podcast that people will hear on Thursday morning, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of intrigue. I I am surprised, honestly, as we're recording this, that Dan Mullen is still the head football coach at Florida. (laughs) I am legitimately stunned that that is the case. I, I don't think he's going to be the head coach of the university of Florida next Sunday. So that's, if that gives you a way where I'm kind of leaning in this one, that's, that's where my head's at currently. There you go. But we will talk about that in more detail once we get uh, middle of the week on Wednesday. We'll, we'll dive into the Florida matchup and look forward to what could possibly be a very interesting Saturday once again. But that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment. Let us know what you're thinking about it. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. And listen to BK on the radio, 101 ESPN in St. Louis. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.